Hi, and welcome to She's the Boss Leaders, the podcast all about successful female founders and women doing amazing things in business from Australia and around the world. I'm your host, Jules Brook, and this episode is sponsored by Brand for Brands, a branding agency run by two sisters located in Sydney. They specialize in building and refreshing brands that speak to the right people the ones that will invest in your products and services. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, and welcome to She's the Boss, the show that's about female founders and women doing amazing things in business. My name is Jules Brooke, and I'm the founder of Handle Your Own PR. Now, before we get into the um, interview, and I cannot wait to get into it, I'd just like to say that if you enjoy this, can you please like or comment on it? And we're looking for new subscribers for the channel. But having said that, I have got to introduce my amazing guest, Christina Gerakates. No, Gerakates. I say it the wrong way around. Um, Christina is the co-CEO at Singularity U Australia. She's also the founder of Utopia X. She's a futurist, an impact driver, the author, an author, and, and the alchemist of the impossible to the possible. Oh my God, I just love these descriptions. So welcome, Christina. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Jules. It sounds sounds pretty good when you say it like that. It's pretty amazing. Let me tell you. So uh, first, let's start with what is it that you're doing now? What is Utopia X and what is Singularity U? So Utopia X and Singularity U have kind of merged into one for me. Um, I came from the creativity and innovation field. I had been asked uh, to set up an innovation station, if you like, uh, way before innovation was trendy, uh, within a tertiary institution. And I uh, I did that. I've always been involved in innovation. I've always been involved in doing things not quite the way people have expected to. I'm kind of one of those people that go do something and then go, oops, sorry, sorry, later. Um, <laughs> I love and, you. <laughs> and thankfully, I have, yeah, but thankfully I haven't done anything that's like really bad or, you know, has hurt anyone or anything like that. So we've just made little changes and, and sometimes we've made big changes. Uh, but anyway, I was asked to, to start an innovation um, organisation within this tertiary organisation just as innovation was becoming uh, something that people needed way before it was trendy. Um, it was that long ago, in fact, that I used creativity and innovation in the one sentence and I was told you can't do that because creativity is all about fine arts and ceramics and it doesn't go with innovation and I just oh kind of went hmm. I've just come back from you know all these amazing universities in the in the US because we uh, had done a bit of a, an innovation tour if you like uh, and the words creative creativity and innovation were used in engineering and in medicine and all over the place but anyway that's a story different story oh, oh no I love that I love that so so okay so you went and did all of, uh, so you started this group um how, how so we started the group out? The funding got um, withdrawn eventually, so we started writing programs around innovation, creativity, wrote one of the first um, entrepreneurship programs for this tertiary institution, again, before they became, you know, commonplace, and we really wrote one. We didn't just band-aid a, a business um, business degree or a business course and, and call it innovation and entrepreneurship. We actually wrote and, and did some research around what was required and, 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 and was really it just of that. Was it just you who was putting it together? Because one of the other things I always find with universities is how out of touch they are with what is really happening in the industry. So to know that there's somebody who's actually living, walking the walk, who set up this course is kind of novel. <laughs> so um, I have had uh, 
involvement with universities. This one was actually for TAFE. So this was way back when it, and it was for TAFE. Universities at the time actually didn't want to touch innovation uh, and we managed to get TAFE to, to want to be involved. So um, went down that path, created it. The funding was then withdrawn right at the beginning and right as we were like getting some traction and, and going, so some funding oh. had been withdrawn from TAFE and I went, that's it. Um, I need to, to leave and I need to make this my full-time gig. So I went and I started an organisation called Ideation at Work. We did a lot of work around design thinking, design thinking principles, still in that entrepreneurship phase. We wrote innovation programs um, in that capacity as well. And then what I really wanted to do was um, find a utopic world. So I had this grand vision of creating or morphing the business into Utopia X uh, and Hang on, wait, wait, stop, same- stop and tell me what does Utopia look like for you? What did you mean by saying that? <laughs> yeah, so Utopia X, so for me my true north is a world that lives in unconditional love uh, and unconditional love requires you to love everybody for their own perceptions and their own realisations. So very much around, and that's why I called it Utopia X. That's why the business is called Utopia X because everybody's idea of utopia is different. Uh, But it's the core values that we stand on. So if we can all stand on the core values of kindness and respect and consideration and unconditional love, then it's possible because we don't all have to think the same thing. And if we all thought the same thing, how boring would the world be? And you wouldn't have anybody to interview because everyone would be equally <laughs> as amazing as you. So, I probably you know, wouldn't be alive if I were there because I'd be bored out of my brain, so I get it. <laughs> so, you know, it was very, very much utopia means different things to different people in different countries. It's all, you know, it's affected by your socioeconomic background. It's affected by your education. It's affected by the books you read, your geography, so many things. Um, so for me, Utopia X can be anything as long as it's based in kindness, respect, unconditional love and compassion. Oh, my God, I love your values. Thank you. They're very difficult to live by, let me tell you. So I have a word of the the year, and and in my case it's actually two words, and those two words are unconditional love, uh, and I set those as my words to work towards, to, to practice as best I could in 2019. I don't think I did so well, so I made them my words for 2020 and I can tell you they're probably going to be my words again in 2021. Well, I'll just tell you that my limited experience of you, you have absolutely treated me with unconditional love and you don't know me and I have got different um, goals and aspirations, so I think you're doing pretty all right. But keep going. I'm interested to hear all of this. Thank you. So so that's, that's my true north. So at the same time that this was all happening, uh, my gorgeous co-CEO, beautiful friend, colleague, wonderful person, Lisa Andrews, who you met yesterday, um, uh, we were introduced quite some years ago by uh, a common friend and over coffee. She said, you two have got to meet. You're both talking about the same thing. You've got to meet. We've got to have coffee. So we organised a half-hour coffee uh, and half an hour later our friend left and three hours later we were still on our third coffee or whatever that looked oh, like. Oh, so you didn't like time. each other at all then, obviously? At all. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Uh, so I was writing innovation programs. I asked Lisa to come and speak at, at a couple of the events that we were running um, we both started talking about Singularity University. She had been involved through Tony Robbins and she'll tell you all about that herself. Uh, I had been involved. So I 
with the innovation programs and everything that I was involved with, I, I was a guest at various innovation conferences um, around Australia and around the world, and I got to meet some of the speakers from Singularity U, and they just blew my mind. So I met, you know, Raymond um, Raymond McCauley, who was talking about all things biodiversity. I met Divya Chandler. Um, I met Ramez Nam, amazing. who does the most amazing work in energy. Peter Diamandis. So I met all these people. One of my funny SU stories is that I was asked to actually look after Peter Diamandis um, during a two-day conference that I was a guest at in Melbourne and I went, oh, no, it's all right, give him to one of the, the younger people because they'll get more out of it and they'll enjoy it more and then, you know, here we are a few years later bringing the whole SU. Um, so I've told him that story. He, he did have a giggle. Uh, <laughs> that so was that was, that was you know, it was almost like. Yeah, I'm glad yeah, that, that. It wasn't quite time. Yeah, Go on. So, um, so Lisa and I uh, started talking about um, about bringing SU to Australia Eventually we did. We also found out that um, I, when I was quite young, um, sang at Lisa's parents' wedding. No. And no. then there were, <laughs> and then there, like there were, there was some other time. And then Lisa, um, who ended up on dialysis, ended up sitting next to my father, who was also on dialysis or who is also on dialysis. Lisa isn't anymore. Um, wow. How so there were all these. Yeah, you were meant to be working together, weren't you? Yeah. Absolute, yeah. So, you know, we um, the, the time was right, everything was right. We applied to bring Singularity U into Australia yeah. and they said, no, neither of you have done one of the one of the full-on courses, the total immersion courses, and that's a requirement for, for bringing one of the chapters into Australia. So I applied and I went over and I immersed myself totally um, for five days in the SU ways, SU ideology, and, and – Jules, I had gone home. I I had found the absolute people who thought um, in the same way I did. So I've always been an optimist. I've always been an idealist. But I consider myself to be an idealist realist. So I, I, we often say we've got our feet on the ground and our head in the clouds and, and somewhere in the middle is, is the reality so, that, sorry, um, that Chris, we create. Christina, just to give um, for anybody that doesn't know about SU, can you just give us a bit more of a, of a background of it? Because I hadn't heard of it before I met sure. you. How does it work and what does it, what's it trying to do? So when I say I, I fell into the tribe, Yep, I can say to you that um, that the positivity. So it's a very positive mindset, uh, and the whole idea is to inspire, educate, empower people to use technology, particularly leaders, to use exponential technologies to create a better place. So we have, or to make the world a better place. We have oh, what we call wow. the global. We have the wow. global grand challenges. Um, that are very much aligned to the United Nations 17 Sustainable Development Goals. In fact, we're now talking in the language of the United Nations 17 Sustainable Development Goals because we believe that if everybody's heading in the one direction, very much around collaboration, very much about how can everybody help everybody else? How do we open source things? How do we share information? Yes. How do we right. create a world of abundance? Right. Okay, so it, and, and that's all it is. It's a mind shift. It's a particular mindset so people often say to us, who's your target market? And we go, anybody who's got the right mindset, anyone who wants to collaborate, anyone who wants to work together. And you might be a startup or you might be a high-end executive. We don't care. Come into the community. Let's all work together. So we, we in Australia, we, um, SU Australia, uh, we don't, we're not a not-for-profit, but we kind of operate as a not-for-profit. So we'll have some high-end 
what we call executive programs where we do this total immersion in the SU thinking and we help people expand. We do a lot of work in Moonshot. So what is the absolute wildest thing you could imagine and then how do we make it happen? So very much around the, the whole BHAG, you know, the big hairy audacious goal theory that, that Jim Collins writes about. So what's your Moonshot? You know that moment when, when JFK went, we're going to put a man on the moon and everyone went, we're going to what? What are we going to do? Um <laughs> So, I love it. So it's like just think right outside the box and then actually put all these great brains together to work out how to actually make it happen. Yeah. And that's so amazing. In that way, so we'll go, how far out of the box can we go? What do we need to create? Which tech can we bring in to create it? But not only create it, to scale it globally so that it affects people all over the planet. So if we're looking at how do we create clean water, how do we create clean energy, how do we feed the population, whatever it is that we do, we then use a convergence of technology to expand that to a global level. So that might mean something like bring in nanorobots, bring in artificial intelligence, bring in 3D printing, bring in, bring in, bring in sensors, lidars, all the different technologies, piece them all together and create the next new. Something bigger. Yeah. Something bigger and better. Can I just ask how big is Singularity University? Like I I, I think how many campuses or whatever are there? So we've got, we operate on a variety of levels. So we've got 197 chapters around the world. A chapter is a volunteer organisation that brings people together to have conversations. In Australia, we've got, so we started in April 2018 with one chapter in Newcastle. That was our first chapter. And we are now 11 chapters. So we're in most of the capital cities and uh, Bega and the Gold Coast would be the two that, Bega, the Gold Coast and Newcastle are, are the three that aren't actual capital cities. So Canberra, right, Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide, etc. Yeah, so we've, we've grown to that level. So we've got 197 chapters globally. Uh, we're yeah. in uh, 72 countries globally we have- oh fantastic so this is really like if you do want to reach out to the rest of the world you guys have actually got that kind of put in place yeah and we've got people that will help you all over the planet so um we have what we call country partners so lisa and i applied for country partnership which means that we um that we are able to deliver all the programs that su delivers internationally in in the u.s uh, where we have the capacity to deliver them in Australia. We have 35 of the most amazing Australian faculty working with us um, and they come from all walks of life in Australia and they have all different fields of speciality uh, and it's an absolute pleasure to work with them. Uh, one of our one of our faculty, Tim Boyd, just got um, an international, he's now chair of an international organisation. Janine, who runs um, the Tech Girls Movement, was just recognised with an OAM. All this information is on our, on our website. Oh, but- wow. Yeah, amazing, amazing. So, okay, Christina, so you are now doing incredible things. I'm going to take you right back because I bet when you were a little girl, you didn't say, when I grow up, I want to run Utopia X. So can you tell me how that has all unfolded? Really? Just take me back as far as it is to take me on your journey. Um, so the the uh, the flash I got in my mind when you said that was singing in front of a mirror with a hairbrush. Uh, so it was <laughs> my my dream, my goal to uh, to be a performer. Uh, and to be a singer. Right. So I've done that. I've been a singer in a band uh, and we didn't quite oh, no, go. Hang on, hang on. How did that happen? I know, I'll go back. I'll go back. So we're, we're, yeah, 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 go back, go back. Um, so I've, I've done some work with Simon Sinek's team. So I love the, this question um, and it sends me <laughs> in all kinds of directions because every single thing that you've done in your life leads you to where you are now. 
Um, Absolutely. So I, I, my first vision is is um, is a singing with a hairbrush um, in front of a mirror and wanting to get out there and perform. Um, I always always wanted to help people. I so growing up uh, with a Greek name. Gerakides, uh ah, meant that I was great. actually subjected to a, a fair bit of racism um, as I was growing up. Not that I totally, I, I just recognised that um, when I was younger as, as being left out or being picked on for being the wog. Uh, but that it's kind funny, of... It's funny, which is something that a lot of um, younger people probably don't realise, that Greeks and Italians were like that. And it might surprise you to know I got here when I was 11 and with a very English accent and really got a lot of that as well. I got a whole lot of the pommy bastard stuff. Well, so I, I get it. it. Yeah, and my dad was actually born here, so I think that's what surprised me um, a lot. I, I have a, a, yeah. a friend, she's of, of Chinese um, ethnicity, and she said to me she was born here, her father was born here as well, and she said, I don't even recognise that I'm Chinese until I look in the mirror and realise that I look <laughs> different to everybody else. She said, but, and, and I have, I, I feel like that as well, and I think it's easier now because Australia is recognised more as a melting pot. Much and more I guess assimilated. That, that focus yeah. is, has shifted a little bit. But, you know, back at school I was the wog, I was picked on. My mother, bless her, made me wear a long dress to a school dance when everyone was wearing jeans. So I had all these, you know. Oh, you had to live that one down. Oh, my God. It was, you know, <laughs> the worst possible thing that, that my mother could ever have done to me was make me wear this long dress. It's funny um, how it scars us, isn't it, those kind of little small things that your mother probably thought at the time, it's a beautiful dress, she looks fabulous in it, let her go, uh, not realising you'd be tortured by it years later. <laughs> However, I'm no longer tortured by it because what I realise is that she was saying to me it's okay to be different um, and it's okay to to walk your own walk, you know. So even way back then when I was, you know, quite young, my mother was teaching me things like that. My mother was, she was of Greek origin as well. She grew up, um, well, she was six when she came to Australia, uh, but, you know, very, very, couldn't speak the language when she got here, all that kind of thing, um, very much a determined, very independent woman and that she has passed on um, to both myself and my sister. So that's fantastic. You know, grew up, and and the other thing I remember very distinctly was my second grade teacher, Mrs. Metcalf, wrote in wrote on my end of year book. She wrote, "Wherever you go, whatever you do, always paddle your own canoe." And that saying, even to this day, like I can feel hmm, it is, and I can yeah, feel myself. Yeah, I can like, too. Yeah, um, and I thought, what a remarkable thing for this woman who also recognised that I was getting picked on you know, picked on at school and did the most remarkable thing. So here's another thing that I remember, and I guess this is why we go the extra mile to, to make everybody feel included and welcome into anything that we do from any walk of life, whatever. But right. I remember the, the very first day of school of U2, um, the, the school photographer, like a, 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 um, a newspaper photographer would come and want to take a photo, you know, first day of school sort of thing, and she picked me, you know. She didn't pick the prettiest girl in the class or the, you know, with the blonde pigtails or whatever it was, she picked me. So she I'd must say have she known. picked the smartest girl in the class, okay, <laughs> if I was guessing. <laughs> Thank you so much. She didn't know me by, at that point. But there was another thing. So, you know, I did do really well at school. I lapped up learning. I just loved learning anything. I couldn't learn enough stuff. And so not only was I um, of this uh, of Greek heritage, but I was also 
Um, I also kept like kept topping the year and things like that at school, uh, which yeah. meant that I was then uh, what only I wasn't only the wog, I was the duck wog because they kind of went from ducks to duck to wog. So you know, I had all this. All this uh, stuff you were happening. really getting it, weren't you? Yeah, I was. But you know what? It actually built my resilience, built my strength. And I'm, uh, you know, how they say you can look back at everything and be really grateful for everything that happened to you in your life. Absolutely. So I don't regret one second of being picked on at school. I don't regret one one instance of anything like that happening. So, you know, it was quite everything leads yeah, to where you are in terms of something. Isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. right. It doesn't feel great at the time, but afterwards you look and go, "Wow, I'm so glad that happened." Absolutely. Um, Okay, so you you've finished school. You've done really well, I would imagine, from being such a studier. What I can hear the dog in the background. Do you, do you want me to just go and stop him by? Yeah. Do, do you want to do that? Yeah. Go. Yeah. Go on. Okay, so you had this amazing um, support from your teachers. You were obviously a brainiac. So what happens when you leave school, Christina? So when I left school, I had um, I had been accepted into uh, a, a law firm to study law. Whoa! Oh, your parents would have been so proud. They were, uh, and I lasted six months. I was going to say, I, pretty boring industry. <laughs> uh, it wasn't even that it was boring, because I I had found myself straight away in court. Um, and so, three things happened to me, or and and it was my perception at the time. Um, but I'm. So I'm only saying it's my perception at the time because I wasn't a lawyer at the time, and I don't know how um, how strict the legalities of what I'm about to say are. But oh, okay. I had witnessed a case, um, so my perception witnessed a case where somebody had done something really bad. They were, they, it, it was a rape case. Uh, and I watched somebody walk out of court on a technicality and that, and I just, <sighs> that, so that was one thing. Then we right. were representing somebody who, um, who, who it was a workers' comp case, uh, and the firm had instructed him to be very careful about what he was doing because people would be photographing him uh, and not to not to appear to be too active. And he looked at us and he said, "I'll be buggered if anyone's going to stop me playing with my grandchildren." I like I remember his face, I remember the tone, I remember everything about him as clearly as if it was yesterday. And he said, I don't care if my back is sore for three days afterwards, but no one is going to stop me playing with my grandchildren. Good. A very fair point. They took photos. They took photos. He lost the case. Okay, so that was the second thing. Yeah. The third thing was that I, I found myself, and I won't tell you what the story was on this one, but I found myself ethically compromised with a decision um, that I had to make, and I just went, three strikes, I'm out of here. Uh, so to the oh god, I love your strength and your ethics, and and the fact that you were probably disappointing your parents. But oh my god, but I my love father. it that that that, that yeah. But it, that, but he must have known that you were a good woman. My father was heartbroken, um, and he still to this day is trying to convince my daughter to go and study law because he <laughs> wants a lawyer in the family. Uh, but oh, and, and and he tells this most remarkable story. So my dad. So I'm just going to go off on another little tangent here about yeah, yeah, why innovation is also super critically important is I come from a family of innovators. My father, my uncle, like that's all they've ever known. So dad would think up a new business and then go and create it and think up something and go and create it. And my uncle would think up an invention um, and 
go and create it, you know. So we were his guinea pigs. Wow. How lucky were you? I was. My uncle invented the very first talking books. So what that looked like was he would read a story onto a cassette player and he would then cut the cassette, the, the particular piece of tape, he would cut it, stick it on the book, and then he had this metal contraption that he ran up and down the book that would read out the words. So if you ran the metal contraption really quickly, it was like, so and if and if you kind of did it at peace, it would run. And he invented through. that. That's a, that even sounds amazing now. He invented that. Yeah. He also invented um, the first snack freeze can. So he he. But my uncle was a great inventor, but he was a terrible marketer, uh, and he n- never took. He never saw anything through. Like he wanted to be the visionary. You know, the Walt Disney. And Walt Disney would have been totally lost if it wasn't for his brother, Roy, who went, hey, just get back here and let's make some of this, you know, a reality. So let me take you back to my grandfather who actually invented Choc Tops. Oh, wow. Listen to your family. That's amazing. My grandfather had a milk bar, as, as you know, all Greek immigrants did, who, by the way, my grandfather was put on a boat at the age of 15 to sail from a tiny Greek island of Githyra, which is like 15 miles by three miles of solid rock, um, and he was sent. He was the oldest of, in his family, oldest of six children. He was sent to Australia on this boat, couldn't speak English, didn't know where he was going, brand new country, what, whatever that looked like. Didn't know where um, he was going. going. Like, literally, his parents just dumped, dumped him and, and sent him on your own. own. He knew he was going to Australia, but he was on his own, okay, and hopefully he would no meet here. some relatives. Well, he had distant relatives here who he met at the, at the, oh, I was wow. going to say, it's the concentration camps. Those stories. Yeah, at the, right. at, the, at, the, um, at the immigrant camps that were. And then he ended up helping people in the immigrant camps later on um, in his life. But he came over as a 15-year-old to make enough money to bring all his brothers and sisters out to Australia because his parents thought it would be a better lifestyle. They knew that they would never see him again. It was this three-month boat journey and I just go, wow, I cannot imagine sending my 15-year-old son on a boat going, I'm never going to see you no again. Way. Just, no by way. By the way, go and make enough know, money. Yeah, but, you know, when I, I mean, I, when I was eight, I used to be flying into a different country. I mean, it was only an hour or so away, but at eight, myself and my teddy bear used to go to boarding school in England and leave, leave my, my parents, parents behind, behind in Germany. So there was a different era in those days. They used to send kids off. My father was four when that happened. His parents lived in India and he went to school in Ireland. So there was a there was definitely a different thinking in those days. But you're right. I mean, I've got 14-year-old twins and I couldn't imagine sending them off on a three-month boat trip and saying, I might never see you again. So Incredible. I've got to tell you the story about the Choc Top. He, he opened a milk bar um, and he used to make the most amazing Easter eggs, chocolate Easter eggs. So what happened was my, my dad's one of um, five brothers one of my uncles would come home from university, grab some ice cream, duck the ice cream in the in the chocolate, but it would leak everywhere because it wasn't a choc top. It had nothing to do with, you know, had no idea how to make it hard or anything, leak it all over the floor. So I actually what? think that it was fear of my grandmother um, and having to clean up <laughs> the mess that he went, hmm, got to stop the mess happening. And so he played around with the recipe until he could dunk, the, like my grandfather played around with the recipe until he could dunk some ice cream in there and it would go hard. Anyway, they took it to the Royal Easter Show. Hang on, no, no, um, no, 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 go back. Tell me first, what makes it go hard? Because I've heard recently that it's coconut oil. Is that it? It was kofa back then. So he used kofa. Kofa, right, 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 okay. According, according to my father, it was the kofa, the mix of it. But you had to get the mix right, you know, the right amount of yeah, kofa in the, in the thing. So they took it to the Royal Easter Show, sold out in three hours, 
um, and that was it. So, but unfortunately, he knew nothing about patents or Patenting. you know anything like that. So, um, and then he went to work for one of the chocolate companies and invented Violet Crumble, um, and they had the recipe for Violet Crumble, and there you go. So, my grandfather. And, and I'm the world's biggest chocoholic, I've got to say. Um, uh, no, like no, you're not because I am. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a competition. Oh, we'll have a Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I'll have yeah. to introduce you to the new subscription, chocolate subscription boxes that um, one of the She's the Boss women have got. You get a monthly box of it. It's brilliant. Um, but anyway, let, let's move you back to your story. So can you tell me what happened when you left school, especially with this enormous innovation and inventiveness in your family? So it was very much the creativity um, that I was aligned to. I had also studied piano um, all the way through and I had been offered scholarships at the conservatorium every year. My piano teacher had wanted me to go and study full-time um, performance at the con and that's what I ended up doing. So I left law and went and studied full-time performance at the university but I've always been this uh, a bit like ADD-ish, I guess, would have been diagnosed with it back then and, and one degree kind of wasn't enough so I enrolled myself um, at the university and the University for Music but also um, did an arts degree and majored in drama. So I was in every play that moved, walked, whatever, wow. from the ancient Greek tragedies to the um, to the Wojciechs. Like we, you know, and by I this stage, can, can I guess that your dad was bawling his eyes out at home going, oh, my God, from law <laughs> into music and drama, what's happened to my daughter? Yeah, yeah. And how are you going to make any money? That's no career. Yes. What kind of career is that? So, in fact, uh, I, I dated one of the guys from the from the drama course and he came to pick me up for lunch, mind you, and my dad said, oh, you know, what do you, what do, you do, Blah. He says, I'm studying, I'm going to be a playwright, I'm going to write plays. Dad goes to him, that's not a very sturdy career, is it? And I just went, oh, my God, let's just go for lunch. And Give me and a hole in the ground said, to crawl into. <laughs> this guy is now writing for Broadway. Like, he's written Broadway plays, so, you know, quite quite uh, quite creative in, in, in that himself. So then, I, I don't know, I, I fell into creativity studied music, studied drama, was in plays. That's when I started playing in, in a band. And one of the bands, um, the very first band actually that I played in, actually the first thing we did was write a rock opera. So we wrote a rock opera over a series of, of 12 months, wrote the words, wrote the As music, did the choreography, everything. That was amazing. That was fantastic. So much fun. Um, and then out of that we started a, a band called In Camera. And what In Camera did was before anyone else was doing it, we put um, we put video clips live on stage, if you like. So every, it was so oh, much wow. hard work. Every single song had it, had choreography, had a costume change, had its own set that we would have to. I mean, I'm talking about Venetian blinds that would come down and particular light settings. That is and, so a band that's been put together by people in music and drama because the yeah. idea of all those costume changes and everything is not normal for musicians anyway. No. Needless to say, we made very little money but had a great time doing it. We spent and have money, some great videos. <laughs> yeah, had some great, yeah, we've got some great videos. I mean, we were doing Kate Bush and David Bowie and Prince and all kinds of things, so it was really, you know, it was awesome. Um, and then out of that I fell into television production. So loved the whole production thing, ended up working on, um, on the news, directed documentaries, commercials, international, national, international food shows. Wow, sort of thing. a whole career. And on the production side always, were you directing or what were you doing? Um, so I started off as a director's assistant. I worked with the most amazing crew, ended up directing, writing, producing, editing, 
I, you I can't help yourself, can through. you? You're amazing. No, no. <laughs> I, I just, I, that, it goes back to that love of learning, right? It just goes back to that what can we soak up, how much learning, what new skill can, can you learn? And I think it's really important. You know, I went through this phase of going, oh, my God, I'm no good at anything. I'm just, I can do bits and pieces of everything. But next time I fall into a career, I'm just going to study that and that's all I'm going to do and I'm going to become an absolute expert in that. You know, I'd fall into something else and another shiny object would come along and I'd go, I want to learn about that as well. <laughs> So I guess um, that took me through to getting married, falling pregnant. I ended up leaving the band that I was playing in when I was five months pregnant because um, it was a bit hard, you know, popping up and down with, with this belly <laughs> that was happening in front of me. Um, and uh, it wasn't long after that that I was asked to go and help teach on a music business course that was quite new at, at TAFE. So they'd introduced this new business course. I was going to say, so that was was that your first introduction to business? Because you've had this incredibly cre well. I mean, you've sort of been an academic, then you've done your um, law, then you've got into music and drama and television. Business hasn't featured yet. So, was this where you sort of pre piqued your interest? Mm, no. So I ran the when I so one of the parts of being in television was I ran a production company, um, and so the whole business aspect um, started to come right. into that. Okay. And then in between all of that or at the same time, um, I was also studying herbal medicine. So I went into my own business as a herbalist. Uh, and then Of course you did. <laughs> every, everything <laughs> over, everything overlapped anymore. a bit, right? Yeah. 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 So I, I'd, had, I'd had some experience in business. I'd run the production company. I'd, you know, run my own business as a, as a herbalist. Um, and then went and helped um, run this music business course and ended up running the music business course and ended up running um, a film and television course as well because this is over when my kids were quite little. And I yep. took the kids with me. They were six weeks old and I was taking them to work and I never asked permission. I just kind of took them to work and nobody ever stopped me. So I'm teaching these teenagers with babies all around, you know, So and, and that happened they three times. They would have loved it. Yeah, um, yeah, they, you know, I think, yeah, they did mostly love it. Uh, so what we ended up doing again, so I never wanted to, you know, it's funny because I never identified as a teacher um, and teaching by curriculum was the worst thing you could actually put in front of me. So what we created to teach music business was um, a music festival and it was going to be a one-day right. festival and we had this meeting and one of the students said, well, let's make it a week. And I went, okay, oh, my God, what did why I not? screw to? Like, <laughs> why not? So we ended up running a week-long music festival and we did that for 10 years. Uh, and What we was would the have, festival? Have we heard of it? it I, I don't know. It was called Newcastle Music Week. Um, okay. And what we ended up doing was, I mean, Shock Records, uh, um, BMG would ring up at the beginning of the year and go, Christina, when's music week this this year so we can write it out, we can put it in our calendar and make sure that we're there. And it was like the first time that happened, I just went, I looked at Whoa. the other guys because, again, it wasn't just me that did it. It was, a t you know, it was this remarkable team effort. So there were three main um, people that ran this. Shane Williams was one of them um, and um, uh, Dunn was the other one. And what we, Ian Dunn was the other one, and we ran this music festival and seriously we probably worked 90 hours a week but we ran the music festival with around 60 students and they 
were remarkable. They would organize. So if you were in the first year, you got to work on the basic organizing gigs, organizing production, doing the tech, whatever. If you stayed with us to do what was then called the diploma um, and the advanced diploma of music business, you got to organize workshops, in which point we told people to aim as high as they could to get the best people they could to come in to run the workshops. And we had songwriters from Midnight Oil and we had, you know, high-end music singers, guitarists, because we said to them, aim high, like just don't ask, don't get, you know. That's what, can I just take could take a stop right now and say to everyone, listen to what Christina is saying because she's 100% right. Aim high, aim high in everything because you'll be amazed at the people that you can get to and the people who want to give back. Sorry, go on, Christina. No, but you, that's exactly right. So I'm going to tell you the story about one of our students um, to, to absolutely validate what you just said. So she, this female student came to me and she said, I, I want to get this artist to come and do the singing workshop. And I went, great. She said, but everybody's laughing at me. And I've gone, well, why? They don't think I can get her. And I said, well, have you asked? And she's, you know, clearly she said, no. And I went, well, if you ask and she says, no, what have you got to lose? And she went, well, nothing. I said, if you ask and she says, yes, she said, well, I'll be really happy. I go, well, what's it going to cost you to ask? And she said, well, knowing you, it's going to take a couple of hours of research because, you know, we used to say, okay, what language do they speak in, as in not not English or French or whatever, but what what how are you going to write the email to entice them the best to come? That's you know, right, so in we a way that it resonates into, with them. Yep. Yeah. Um, how are you going to contact her? What avenues are you going to do? Like research. So research, writing. She said, knowing you, it would probably take me a couple of hours. And I went, great, you know, wonderful. Anyway, to cut the long story short, she got the singer that she wanted to get. She not only gave so the singer gave the best workshop I have ever been to and like I'm, I used to sing in a band so wow. I've been to are you allowed to tell us who, who it was uh, it was Renee Gayer so oh the, um, wow. sure I can tell. so you know was was so famous blues singer you know um, yeah like one of the most famous in Australia and you know what she mentored this student for 12 months and I just oh. said to her just imagine if you hadn't asked I couldn't agree with you more. I say exactly the same thing. And, you'd, and you're in no worse position. There's no downside to asking. You're just back in no. the same position you were before if they say no. So love it, love it, love it. Great story. So we ran the music festival like that and we had students getting, you know, there was a, Jans used to offer a scholarship um, to production students at the time and, and our, so they'd offer two students annually a scholarship and our students would get it all the time. And I, and I swear to this states because they had that hands-on experience before experiential learning, you know, was trendy and popular. So then I was asked to go and run the film and television school because of my film and television background. And we did the same thing. We had, we had students from that point on get um, invited to international film sets and things like that. And when I said before, um, like we used to ask for, um, ask for, not permission, like apologise later. We were called in so many times to say your completion rates, your completion rates are low. And I go, yeah, they are. We've had one go off to work with Chug Entertainment and we've had one go off to work on an international film set. Sign up with Mushrooms or whatever. Yeah, yeah, you know, I can't help. Well, can't you make them complete anyway? I go, let me see finished my, my, my TAFE certificate or not that not the TAFE certificate was awesome and it was remarkable the knowledge that they went away with but if you go to work for Chug Entertainment you don't have five minutes to scratch yourself in, especially in your first year so you know the completion rates were kind of like 
why aren't why aren't we getting credited and now I can say education systems should be getting big fat ticks when people get work in the industry especially yeah so anyway that was another thing um but we did the same thing with the film and television students we um we got them involved with music festivals like fat as butter um and groove in the mood things like that they went out and they shot they they made the animations etc so everything about me was experiential learning then i was asked by a wonderful gentleman by the name of neville sawyer um, to start an innovation. He'd been around to the universities and to other organisations and was trying to get an innovation group going and they knew, I guess they knew what I was like and they said, do you want to start this? And I went, yeah, why not? So head <laughs> down into so roughly every innovation. This, I mean, how long ago is this? How old are you? How Roughly. I've I mean, got. I I have been in my own business for seven years, and okay. we ran the innovation group for. Three, so it's about ten years ago. Right? Okay. okay. So just as innovation was becoming this this thing that people wanted to aspire to, but everybody was using the words and nobody really knew how to use it. Um, that's when we started writing these innovation courses um, and putting people together that could do things differently. Really go into the experiential learning capacity, make live experiences. Funding was cut, so we did that at that organisation for about three years. Um, I, within that organisation, also helped run the Hunter Innovation Festival, ended up um, taking that over for a couple of years when I left. I've worked with the most remarkable people. I have been extremely blessed with people that have supported um, you know, wild Christina. ideas and, and things that we've done. I have to tell you, I, I, without even knowing them, I know that they would all say that about you because you are amazing. And I hate to say it, but we're really running out of time. So can you just, I know, I know, I could talk forever with you. We should turn this into a three-hour interview. Um, can you um, just join the dots now between where you were there and Singularity U and Utopia X in five minutes? <laughs> And we, and we kind of did get there. So at the end of at the end of so I left um, because the funding had been withdrawn. I left the organisation, went into my own business. It was ideation at work, which takes us way back at the beginning, which feels like not that long ago, but forever ago now. Um, and it was when I went to Singularity U, I had decided when I went for that immersive experience um, in order to bring SU into Australia. That's when I went. I'm going to do this. I'm going to rebrand. I'm going to call my business Utopia X. Um, and and took that to the that was the project that I that I took to the SU um, immersive experience and worked on. And everyone went, well, why wouldn't you do it? Because we were, you know, and and I guess that validation from like minded people, yep. positive mindset, people that know they can change the world because if you don't if you only think you can change the world you're not going to do it and changing the world doesn't mean that you have to make monumental changes it's it's this ripple effect i ran an innovation program called ripple effect and it was because you could be one tiny little person and have a tiny conversation you know that would just spread out and that's come back time and time again um so true as you know so utopia x that was the impetus to bring going to that experience at SU was the impetus to bring SU into Australia. Like I said, we brought one chapter in. It wasn't long before we were running, um, and this is with Lisa, we were running, uh, we ran two what we call global impact challenges where we supported yep. startups um, yep. with amazing prizes uh, and made amazing connections for them as well. So it's not only about one person winning, it's about how you create that team and that collaboration. So Absolutely. I'll tell you the when we when, when we announced the first winner of the Global Impact Challenge, 
everybody. There were twelve people in the in the um, in the running, and everybody, including the guy that won, is clapping, watching for who's going to step out. And then they've gone, "No, it's you." And the absolute look <laughs> on his face when he realised it was him was one thing, but the absolute joy on everyone else's face for the person that That's won right. was like. Well, I think that's that's something about entrepreneurship, isn't it? That I do think that we all will everybody else to be successful. You want everyone to be doing well. And I guess to just tie that back to women in business, that's something, again, that I think is super important that we support all the women around us, lift everyone up, and then, you know, it's an equal playing field. That's right. And just that element of support, support everyone. Then we ran the summit which was another thing. Then we applied for country partnership, which was another thing. And here we are today working with the most amazing people. So it's, it's you know, it, it, it's not intentional this way, but we have um, our full-time staff are all female, uh, but we contract the most amazing males as well. So that's remarkable. Also that, you know, my our two co-CEOs are female and the support that we manage to give each other. We have this saying, uh, Lisa is an accountant by trade, um, and we say that she does the one, two, threes, and I do the ABCs. Uh, and oh, it I love works. that. I need someone to come and do my one, two, threes on my business. Oh, I'm definitely, definitely on the ABC <laughs> side. But, Christina, you have been such an inspiring guest. I honestly, you are the most amazing woman. Now, if anyone wants to get hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, so, Christina at singularityyouaustralia.com or connect with me on LinkedIn. So, you know, and if I don't answer straight away, I will get to you eventually some days the inbox, as you would know, Jules, because what all the things that you're doing are equally as remarkable. Let's just make that statement as well. Thank you. Um, but, you know, some days you just don't get to the emails, but I will get back to you. So, you know, and join a community. Find an SU chapter in your area. Have the conversations. Even if you don't join an SU um, area, have a conversation around your dinner table about how you can make small incremental changes to make the world a better place. Oh, I love that. And for anybody who does want to go, it's singularity you with the letter U as opposed to Y-O-U. But it's, it's just brilliant. So thank you so, so much for being my guest today. Thank you for having me. Now, for anyone who's watching, I hope you have enjoyed this episode. It has blown my tiny mind, that's for sure. So if you like it, please make a comment underneath. Check out the two videos on the left and click on one of them and you'll see another show. So uh, we have co- we have two new shows every week. If you are interested in t- uh, hearing about more, I've also got a podcast called She's the Boss, Boss chats that you can find on all platforms. I run Zoom lunches every Friday for female founders and you can find out about all of it on she'stheboss.com.au. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Another big thank you to our sponsor, Brand for Brands Agency. To find out more about Brand for Brands, go to brandforbrands.com. To watch this or any other episodes in this series on video, go to the She's the Boss YouTube channel. And to find out all about She's the Boss, how we are making female founders more visible and lifting up the women around us, go to she'stheboss group.com.